You know, I know in the church and being a part of the church and see how the church has transformed. And that's what I want to talk about here this morning as the air condition reminds us that we're in a rented facility. But I want to talk about being transformed, not only as a church, but as a person, as a people, to undergo change in our condition or our nature, our character. And I'd like to look at a follower of Jesus named John, known when he began to follow Jesus as the son of thunder and literally transformed into what he was known at the end of his life as the apostle of love. Let's look over to John chapter 13, verse 1. And it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it in his heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon, son of John, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, wrapped it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, and wiped them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. You know, this is Jesus' final night on the earth. Final night before he's betrayed, his final meal with his disciples. And they don't understand everything that's going on. But I want to ask you two questions that I want you to think about through the course of this time together. One why did Jesus wash the disciples' feet? Why did he wash the feet of the disciples? And two, why was John the only one to record it? Of the synoptic gospels, of John's gospel, why was John the only one to write about it? So here we have this man, a young man, a young boy, a teenager, known as the Son of Thunder. I don't know what your nickname is. If you're close to me, you probably have a nickname. And most of you don't know what it is. <laughs> but imagine having a nickname, Son of Thunder. Let's look at a couple of scriptures of John and his brother James with the disciples. Mark chapter 9. Verse 33, it says, and they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was to be the greatest. Mark chapter 10, verse 35, and James and John, sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him with their mother right next to them, grant us that one, one of us sit at your right and the other in your left in your glory. Luke chapter 9. Jesus answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. Luke 9, verse 53 
But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when the disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? So we have this nickname, Son of Thunder. And it was on account of his fervent, impetuous temper. He was loud and angry. He focused on self-glory and power. He was competitive, trying to get ahead of the other disciples. And even to the point that he was willing to contemplate murder. Wiping out a whole town. Because they didn't want to follow Jesus. And so what does Jesus do? Each one of those times, Jesus takes the time to teach, to train, and to mold. Jesus takes the time to engage each one of those men, each one of those situations to teach, to train, to mold. And what was Jesus trying to do? Jesus, all along this time, was trying to pull the nation of Israel back to his Father in heaven. All these three years, when he was teaching his disciples, he was trying to transform them and draw them back to his Father. You know, you can see this clearly. The sin of Israel in Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 11. It says, has a nation changed its gods? Even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. For they have forsaken me the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And so we see that Israel was broken. And Israel was trying to fill its voids with worthless idols. So why was Jesus taking the opportunity to teach to train and mold his disciples, and especially John. It's because John was broken. And his brokenness came out in his anger. His brokenness came out in his competitiveness. His brokenness came out of that he wanted to be a part of something else, and he was angry that people weren't falling in line. He was broken. And he wasn't doing it God's way. You know, I'm grateful for God's patience. You know, over time, and not at once, I've been able to see how broken I am. You know, I love the Old Testament. I love the Bible. And, and certainly in the Old Testament, it's a study of the human heart. It's a study of our character. I see in the Bible, in the Old Testament, I'm an Israelite. I'm one of the ten spies. I'm a grumbler and a complainer. 
I see how if I've rejected God and I've hewed out cisterns for myself, cisterns that hold no water. You know, many of you know my story, my background, and, and how literally I was raised fatherless. Three stepdads, all broken. All broken and with issues. And over my life as a young man growing up, I see over and over and over again how I was trying to fill my broken cistern. We moved around a lot. Three different high schools. Multiple junior highs or elementary schools. And I see that over a course of a period of time, it left me hungry. Hungry for meaningful relationships. Insecure, looking for acceptance. Love. A life of anger. And so I ran the gauntlet of sin, trying to fill the voids in my life with worthless idols. And I didn't realize I was broken. And it would come out in my anger. It would come out in how I was trying to fill myself. It came out how I was trying to do things my way. You know, the New Testament puts it into a different light. John chapter 4, in verse 7. We find a story that Jesus is out preaching and teaching and he bumps into a Samaritan woman at a well. In verse 7 it says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For the disciples had gone into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would ask him, and he would give you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water I give him will become in him a spring of life welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty and have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying you have no husband. For you have five had five husbands. And the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. You know, I love John. <laughs> I love the book of John. And what it is, it's a story within a story within a story. You have the story of Jesus. But in the story of John, you have the story of Jesus, and in that you have the story of John. And then you have those stories of those who Jesus touched that John witnessed. 
And so you have Jesus meeting this Samaritan woman, and he confronts her. You're always thirsty. You're tired. You're trying to fill yourself. You're trying to fill yourself with relationships. Five men, six men, and five broken or five different broken cisterns. Broken and always thirsty. You can imagine how the confrontation she felt when Jesus literally peering into her life and all the pain, all the hurts, all the ways over these years, she has been trying to find security and comfort and, and through relationships. And she's been trying to follow it in broken people, just like herself. She mentions Jacob. Are you greater than our father Jacob? <laughs> wow. Because you know Jacob's name means the overreacher, the supplement, the supplant, the deceiver. Do you know Jacob used his mother to manipulate his family? He deceived his father. His brother got to a point where he wanted to kill him on numerous times. Jacob's broken. And Jacob was trying to fill that thirst. And it gets to a point in Jacob's life over and over, and it gets to a point where he finally wrestles with God. And after the wrestling was over, finally when he started getting it, God gave him a new name, Israel, which means he who strives with God and with men. And then it's Jacob and his sons. And you think about, okay, where did he get his sons? Well, he got it from his wives. And his first wife's name was Leah. And Leah was not his original choice because her father tricked Jacob on the wedding night and he didn't realize that he slept with Leah. And so Leah had a child, her first son. But actually what happened is that God saw that Leah was unloved and so God opened up her womb. And so she had her first son named Reuben. And Reuben's name is, the Lord has seen, now my husband will become attached to me. And then she had a second son, Simeon. The Lord has seen, now my husband, actually, I'm sorry, yeah, the, because the Lord has heard that I am not loved. Third son, Levi, now my husband will be attached to me. Over and over and over, having children in an unloved situation, married to a broken person, and she herself was broken and trying to fill that void. And then she started getting it. And she had a fourth child. And she named this child Judah. Let him be praised. And then it says God closed her womb. She finally got to a point where she started understanding that it's all about God. You know, in my course of discipleship, in the course of God teaching, training, molding me over the course of years, I remember a time that we were in the ministry and we we moved around a, a few times, and we went to Cincinnati. We were there for about uh, a half a year, eight months or so. 
And I remember going there, and our first night was a midweek. And we were there in the church, we were singing, and after service, after the singing in a midweek, this woman came up to me, and her name was Ellen Coates. Ellen and I went to junior high together. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, oh my goodness, someone from my childhood became a disciple. So we talked, and, and we talked about our families and our kids, and it was just incredible. You know, later, later that week or the next few weeks, I don't remember what it is, Patty got some time with Ellen, and you know how, how Patty is. She wants to know everything. She's inquisitive. She's the inquirer. And so she wants to know, like, what was Todd like when he was growing up? What was he telling me about Todd? You know, Ellen looked at Patty, and she, she said, you know, the thing I remember about Todd is that he'll do anything to make friends. <sighs> Broken. Moving around. Three stepfathers. No role models. Just going to new places and starting over again, over again, over again. Insecure, trying to find that, fill that void with broken people and broken situations. And I remember hearing that and just how cut I was. Just seeing how broken I am. You know, getting fired 22 years ago didn't help matters either. Oh, oh, the new, here's a new wrestling with God. Here's a new situation, seeing my people pleasing and all the things that go with that. Getting fired, starting over again, moving to Dallas, being out of the ministry, having to struggle and deal, but at the same time, all this time wrestling with God. Thirsty, running after acceptance, validation, significance. So let me ask you, how do you feel your thirst? Do you run after things that build your self-worth? Do you thirst for security? Do you feel like you have to have someone before you can be full? Is it money? Is it your job? Is it, it whatever? you're trying to fill your broken cistern with. Because, see, we're broken. And unless we get it, unless we understand we're broken, we're never going to understand the gift of God, which is living water. And so Jesus, back in John chapter 4, Jesus talks about this gift, this gift of the Father, in verse 10, Jesus answered here, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would have given you living water. The gift of God. And her mindset was, where do you get it? I want this water. 
John chapter 4, then verse 13, he says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks this water, I will give him, I will give him and will never be thirst again. The water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling to eternal life. Never thirst again. You know how freeing that is? Well, you don't have to look at pornography to get full. When you don't have to be reliant on someone else's acceptance of you to be full. Not to have to run after people's opinions and their, and their words of affirmation to be full. Not that encouragement and words of affirmation aren't good or, or relationships or perhaps jobs or money. That's not, it's not that bad of in itself, but when you need it to make you full. And so what does Jesus say? He says, drink from me and never thirst again. Follow me and never thirst again. Take my yoke and never thirst again. You know, earlier in the lesson, I asked you two questions. In John chapter 13, verse 1, I'm going to read verse 1 again. And it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And then it says in verse 12, when he finished washing their feet, he put on his outer garments and resumed his place. And he said to them, you, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, and for so that's what I am. If I, then your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have loved you. Or I've done for you. Question number one. Why did Jesus wash their feet? Practically. Why did Jesus wash their feet? And I know you're going to say, oh, because Jesus so loved the world. And, you know, he set an example. And, you know, he's just showing his disciples. Uh, yeah, I get that. But why did Jesus wash their feet? It says that Jesus rose up from the supper. Okay, imagine this for a second. Again, tension. It's, it's getting rough. There, there, something's going on here. Jesus is on this journey to Jerusalem. He, he comes up through Bethany, and, and he comes up riding on a donkey, and people are yelling, screaming, Hosanna, and, and uh, you know, the Behias, and just the crowd's frenzy. It's Passover, and it's just crazy in Jerusalem right now. They get a room, and they're eating this Passover meal, and they're laying there, and they're eating, they're starting to eat food, and... Their feet are all dirty. There wasn't water to wash their feet. No one was there. No servant was there to wash their feet. So why did Jesus wash their feet? Because no one had the humility to pick up a towel and the wash basin to perform the task of a servant. 
None of the 12. They were all eating. Eating their supper. And you can imagine Jesus just watching. Will one of them do it? Will one of them get up and wash their brother's feet? And no one does it. So Jesus gets up from the supper, takes off his outer garment, takes a towel, and he goes and he washes each of his disciples' feet. So question number two, why was John the only one of the Gospels to record it? Is because, you know what? He finally got it. He finally got Jesus. He finally understood Jesus. And it made a lasting impression on him, his Lord, his master, taking the position of a servant and willingness to set the example of love and service. And he got it. And so he was the one that wrote about it. Because it cut him deep. And so you have this son of thunder, broken. The son of thunder, impetuous, angry, frustrated, self-seeking, edgy, being transformed into the apostle of love. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me as a broken cistern. Jesus loves me with my issues. Jesus, a spring of life welling up in me for eternal life. Jesus, the living water. Jesus, filling our broken cisterns. You know, I believe when we get to a point in our walk with God that we start seeing our brokenness. What am I going to hide? I'm messed up. You guys have evangelists that are messed up. You have elders that are messed up. You have ministry leaders, women ministry leaders, that are messed up. You have Bible talk leaders that are messed up. This is the messed up Church of Christ. But see, do you hide it? Do you ignore it? No, 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 no. I got it together. Or do you, are you open Are you vulnerable? Do you realize we're all broken and the only way we're going to be filled, the only way that we have life is through Jesus. So what ought people ought we ought to be? Shouldn't we be a people that read about Jesus every day? Shouldn't we be a people that want to understand the Gospels and understand why Jesus taught the way he taught and and spoke the way he spoke and then follow our Lord in all things that we do? 
I don't have a problem sharing my brokenness. And you know what? There are people that are struggling with what you're struggling with right now that need you to be open and vulnerable. So here's my call. Here's what I call the Travis Bartlow, so what? And what that means is you have a lesson, and at the end of the lesson, it's like, so what? All right? So what? What? What are you going to, what's the challenge? What's the call? How am I going to change? My call is for us to beg God to transform us. And it's not a one and done, it's a lifetime. There's going to be times that you're going to struggle with God. And it might come in weeks, it might come in years, it might come in decades, but you will wrestle with God. And I pray that you beg God to help you have your heart always set on Jesus. That we're a church that loves and focuses on Jesus. So when we talk about Lubbock, we talk about our missions contribution, we talk about taking communion, we talk about the life and the, the blood that was shed, we understand how much Jesus loves us and wants to fill us, these broken cisterns. And if there are things right now that you realize that you're running after to fill yourself on your own, I beg of you, get open. Grab a brother and a sister and be open. Let them know what you're dealing with and so you can focus on Jesus. So as, as we take communion, as we remember Christ,